Welcome to Mazum Gumzo, African Scholarly Conversations, a podcast that highlights the perspectives of various stakeholders in academia and research fields across Africa through open dialogue on Mazum Gumzo on scholarly communication in Africa. Welcome to Mazungumzo, African Scholarly Conversations. I'm your host, Joy Owango, the Executive Director of the Training Center in Communication, a research capacity trust based at the University of Nairobi, Kenya. We are joined by an expansive list of African policymakers, science communication specialists, innovators, and tertiary institutional institution leads who contribute to this realm of science communication and scholarly communication. Today, we are honored to have our colleague, Mr. Abednego Colete, as a guest to the show. As a senior IT officer for the Association of African Universities based in Ghana, Mr. Colete has been a key player in promoting and advancing open science in Africa. He has been part of various initiatives, including institutional, national, and regional dialogues aimed at increasing awareness and getting buy-in from higher education leaders in African universities, especially when it comes to open science. A warm welcome to you, Abednego. Thank you very much, and I'm very pleased and honored to be part of this conversation. Super. So now, can you tell us a little bit about your background? A little bit about your background and your role as a senior IT officer for the Association of African Universities, which we are going to call the AAU during this entire meeting, uh, I mean, entire uh, podcast, and how did you become involved in open science? Okay, so um, I would say that I started off life very early, working as uh, an officially, um, working officially as a staff of the KNUST, which is a university in Ghana, Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology. I was with the library at that time uh, as a, a library assistant. I just finished my O-level and ended to start working. So um, I, I, I had experience of seeing people looking for information and not finding information. I had the experience of seeing lecturers coming to look for their published articles when it was time for promotion at the library, when they had not submitted copies to the library. And I had seen the experience of people looking for information that would be relevant for their research work, conducted by their own colleagues within the institution, not being available for them. So, well, that was uh, an eye-opener of a sort. Uh, then I I went on to school and to do computer science. Then after computer science, I still realized that there was still the need for IT support, especially in the field of knowledge management, to make sure people are able to, let me use the word, store their research and in a manner that is making it easy to retrieve and for others to have access to. So from then on, I had veered off the IT background into helping build platforms, helping build capacities for people to set up platforms also that will support knowledge sharing and make more research visible to the entire globe. So in the short form, that is how I got involved in helping share research and knowledge around. Okay, so in the first instance, you saw 
the challenges that researchers, especially at Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, had in yeah. accessing research information. And then yeah. also it went beyond that. And you said noticing some of the infrastructure, uh, the infrastructure challenges some of challenges, the universities yeah. were facing. And that's yeah. how you found yourself now getting more involved in, in the open science space and building yeah. that building that off your IT career. But with that, how did that get you into the ecosystem uh, in within the African Association, uh, uh, within the Association of African Universities? And what is it that you've been doing uh, when you noted some of these challenges within the, the AAU in supporting uh, universities, especially when it comes to leveraging on open science uh, technologies in increasing their visibility and also improving uh, their research discovery processes. All right. Um, so what happened was that uh, I set up an institutional platform at KN University to help showcase initially thesis and dissertations from the students because that comprises a substantial amount of research that is not made visible. Thesis and dissertations for postgraduate students contain a lot of indigenous knowledge and traditional information that is normally not shared beyond the walls of the institution. So I set up an institutional platform to make visible the thesis and dissertations from the K University. And then I was invited to a workshop by the Association of African Universities. And so basically I realized that they were talking about what I had already done at KNUST. They were talking about <clears throat> setting up institutional repositories across the continent at the national level. So for instance, in Ghana, all the universities will set up individual repositories. Then there'll be one national level repository that will harvest all the institutional repositories within the country and make it visible on one platform research from that country. And it was not working. So what they had now resorted to was to have a, a, a I've forgotten the, the software they used at that time. It will come back to me. That's so okay. they would do that. They would they would do the so institutions will submit their data to AAU and AAU will come out with one CD, one compact disk containing that information, which was also not renewable and updated as quickly as it should be. So mm -hmm. until the year is over and a new one is coming up, any research that was done within that post that CD release was supposed to wait until the year is over and the new one was being done. So um, I, I, I realized that I was ahead of them because what I had set up was using the DSpace as a repository right. platform. And that one was live. The updates were in real time. And so now um, at the meeting, they realized that I could be of help. So even before I had joined the AU, I was working as a, a, I would say a facilitator for most of the workshops that they were doing on open access to research through the use of institutional repositories. Ah. So I was doing that with AU, and then at the point um, I had to join AU. <laughs> so that I'll not be a facilitator, but now I'll be working from AU in trying to guide or support that process across the continent. Fantastic. That is how I eventually ended up in AU. Interesting. So you actually have, because you're actually in the thick of that um, infrastructural growth from 
when institutions were using CDs for recording their data, which they would rather, and also further share within their academic communities to now moving into the use of institutional repositories. So you helped catalyze that change, not only within universities, but also AAU member universities, not only your university, but also AAU members, member universities, am I right? Yes, and at that time, AAU was using EndNote, now the name has come, EndNote was okay. being used for that. Okay, interesting. Okay, and that is how we you got now involved in uh, now the open science space because this space does fall under uh, yeah. is an infrastructural system that falls under the, yeah. the open science space. Yeah. That is very interesting. And this leads to the next question: Why do you think open science is important for the research ecosystem in Africa, and what benefits can it bring to African researchers and their work? Please cite also how AAU is getting involved in all these activities. As your, right. your views. Mm. All right. Thanks very much for that. Um, the 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 challenge I will say first before I go into that is that people misconstrue the word open to mean loose without restrictions or without guidance or being peer reviewed. But the word open is rather about the openness of the process, the transparency involved in making sure that the research process is open to everyone, there's a use of the or involvement of the community of users in helping to peer review it, making your data available, all your the methods that were employed in doing the research, making it open so people would understand and see your credibility. And this is one area that I think um, people are feeling to see that when they employ openness in their research article, the benefits are, you can't just measure them. First of all, it's, it helps build your credibility because whatever you have done, you are sure that if 10,000 people use that information that you have provided, they would all arrive at the same conclusion you arrived. That makes you a credible researcher. It allows you to have recognition. It allows more visibility for your research work. Now, the other thing that they are afraid of is where they think that uh, when you share your data, people can steal your data, which is also another thing that I keep talking about. That It is not like that, because once you put anything on the internet, you hear people say that don't put your, for instance, pictures, compromised pictures on the, on the internet, because the internet never forgives or it never forgets. Once you put data, that is correct, you have a timestamp on it that secures it for you. It's a form of security. And also provides, Nobody can take it. Exactly. It gives you research sovereignty and data ownership. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's yes. no way anybody can steal it from you. So on the contrary, the idea that if you put it there, somebody will steal it, it's, 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 it's wrong. It's wrong. It totally secures everything you have there. Then also it allows you to give I'll say control over how people use it. Ethical usage of your data. You can determine that people can use it based on any of the CC licenses that we have, Creative Commons licenses. So it's in a way for the researcher, you, you are secured. You are secured, you are given credibility, you are given recognition, you are seen. So for nothing at all, if you are a researcher and you want to employ open science, you, you have all these pluses coming to you. The institution that supports that process is also recognized as a credible institution. 
because then anybody else who wants to do proper research or wants to have credibility in the results of their research output if there's a funding agency that wants to do research and wants to use an institution where they, they, they are sure that everything will be transparent, there will not be any cutting of corners to, uh, to arrive at a, 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 a conclusion that is not correct, they would want to put their money there. So the institutions themselves also benefit in so many ways. So the institutions must be the leaders in ensuring that even their faculty members are also told along and they, they all support bring about open science practices within the institution. And for us at AU, we, we, we recognize this. Uh, from the time I have been at AU, we have done other things like we now celebrate Open Access Weeks. It didn't used to be like that. In Open Access Weeks, we try to promote, Open Access is just a component of Open Science, yeah. but we try to promote uh, Open Access within the faculty and our member institutions for them to understand that this is what it means and this is why it is beneficial for them to join. Mm -hmm. So every year we celebrate, we use a whole week to celebrate open access. And sometimes even during our one of our mandatory meetings, we call it African Universities Day. It's a week-long celebration. We, we try to bring in some of these things for people to understand that open access is good for the continent. We generate so much content, we push them all to the north. And then people within our own small environment, community of users, colleagues at the office, uh, research centers, we can't even assess the work we have done. So once we are looking at retaining knowledge and ensuring that people are able to build upon what has been done first, we are into both aspects of it, I say both sides of the coin. Whilst building the capacity, we are also trying to have platforms set up to support that process. So we are not just talking about it. We are also making sure there's uh, an environment, an enabling environment that supports such processes. Okay, that is it's quite interesting, and and I'm glad you're you're making our listeners understand why open science is beneficial to them, especially when it supports, uh, it actually empowers them, but most importantly, it also creates an element of research sovereignty. That is something that most researchers are very wary of when it comes to open science and the benefits it has for them. So it's good to make that very clear. And that leads to my next question. And that is in the recent years, in the, in the, in, 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 in the recent, uh, in, the, in, the, in the last few years rather, um, there's been there in the last few years. There's been um, uh, the what has been highlighted so far in the last few years. What has been highlighted so far is that there are about uh, there are about 1,225 1, uh, African universities, and of these, about 36 have open access mandates. None of them are open science. Um, have an element of open science, they're just focusing on open access, even though that, that is changing. Um, and what do you think? What do you think is the reason for this and what strategies can be put in place to increase awareness and buy-in from decision makers when it comes in decision makers within African universities? I say this because yes, the, the, the conversation on open science started with open access. That could be one of the reasons why we have more open access mandates. But then open science, the, the conversation now on open science has been much more aggressive so that 
the academic community can understand how open science covers the entire research life cycle and how it supports the academic community, even though the conversation did begin with open access. So what do you think needs to be done to increase the awareness on the buy-in on African university leadership on open science mandates and, and developing their existing open access mandates to become open science mandates to support the entire ecosystem? What do you think needs to be done? Well, we, we, uh, in this, I want to congratulate uh, TCC and PLOS also for all the good work that has been done this far. Uh, like you said, yes, uh, open access was or used to be the focus, and now we are having a broader picture. Even with the open access, you still realize that the number of institutions that have the mandates are quite small. If you look at the figures that were mentioned, 36 out of 1,225, it's quite small. There are a lot of challenges to this one. Uh, one is the rate of, I'll say, attrition, the rate of turnover at the universities. It's uh, like you build up the capacity of somebody, like the data of research, and the person now gets to understand and wants to implement. But within six months, the person is off, another person comes in and then you have to restart the process again. It's the same with the DBCs, the same with the vice-chancellors, so it makes the work extra difficult. But people still haven't given up. Then also for those who get to understand, sometimes the, the rate at which they adapt to it becomes a little bit slow. And they are unable to come up with clear lines of engagement in those areas. So there's lack of clarity. There's very little knowledge also among a lot of the community, especially the, the, the upcoming, I say young researcher, career researchers. And there's lack of policies within the institutions like you are just noting. Clear mandate that says that this is what we are, we are seeking to do. We want to do ABC. And so the ABC, this is how we would, we would uh, um, go about it. So all these things come up as a challenge for those who even have their clear mandate, clearly stated, clearly uh, articulated, to, to come to the point where there is clear implementation taking place and people are making use of all the things that needs to be done to support open access or in this case open science. So that is one of the the, the challenges, not more of the, some of the challenges that we are having within the institutions. And then for, for, for us at AU, we think that there's the need for more engagement. And in doing the engagements, we are now doing both top and down. We are bringing in the Senate as well to understand that these are the things that wants this to be done. We want to do clear, clear cuts, give them clear cut uh, value addition for embracing open science. But for us also, I think the other area we want to take a look at now is also involving the researchers themselves. So that if the top even moves off, if those in the mass at the bottom understand what it is about, they will not wait for another person to be at the top to direct them. They would understand what it means and will be implementing it even at their level as researchers, early career researchers or whichever research level they are in. You'll not always be waiting for the director of research to come in or a DBC in charge of academic and research 
to come in to push them. So we are thinking of having more engagement, all levels of the research process. Then we want to the institutions getting to understand that they need to reward people because this is a new this is a new engagement process. So uh, people think this extra work uh, things uh, going to give them more work to do than they can support. So we, we want to educate institutions and people so it's easier for them to quickly adapt and implement open science uh, tenants within their research cycle and embrace that whole concept of open science in their research output. So these are ways we are also trying to help uh, continue on the advocacy of open science and uh, to urge institutions to adapt to open science. Okay. So it's it's an issue of uh, trying to to work with the ever increasing organizational change within the university and continuous engagement so that this whole process can be can be realized and uh, there's there's also behavioral can be this process can be realized within the universities and also there's behavioral change and acceptance towards open science now. Yeah. And I know this is an ongoing process. That is the issue about capacity building. It's a continuous ongoing process. Yes. So, so, um, so with you just mentioned the project that we've been working on with PLOS and us also for us, TCT Africa and UNESCO in promoting the adoption and implementation of open science in African universities. What do you say have been the key takeaways from the initiatives? What have been your observations um, um, representative of AAU? For me, there, there have been two things that uh, I, um, I always get pleasantly surprised at. Uh, one has to do with the level of understanding of open science and what's needed to embrace or adapt to open science. But what I'm also more, more happy to, to see at this point is that after every one of those regional dialogues that we have had, and the feedback that we receive, it really encourages me because I realize that people get to understand what we want to do, what we want from them. And now they, in a way, become not just uh, people who want to adapt, they become also, I'll say, advocates for open science. So for me, it means that there is more work to be done. We need to engage them more. We need to have more spaces for these dialogues to continue and then to move on beyond just the dialogues we want to see how we can also start supporting institutions to implement open science by providing clear guidelines on what needs to be done uh, how i'll say more of providing a, an faq to the implementation of open science for the institutions to know how to implement them adapt and implement them within their research cycle doing that and also highlighting the, the I would say the value addition that they gain from embracing open science. But overall, I think these engagements have been very useful. It's been very productive. And uh, it's, I, I guess it's a way to go to do more for people to understand open science is, okay. it is beneficial for them to be part Fantastic. of the process. Fantastic. Now beyond, the, the, the higher education leadership open science engagements that you've been uh, actively involved in within the AAU. Um, 
your organization established a knowledge management unit in 2005 to improve the management of knowledge generated by African universities. Uh, can you tell us more about the, the DATADR, the DATADR platform and okay. how it had increased the visibility of African research emanating from higher education institutions? Okay, so the data platform, data is the database of African teachings. Initially, it has started as that, just thesis and dissertations, and it was thesis and dissertations at the postgraduate level for the AAU member institutions to have a way of aggregating all their research output. At that time, it started, it was just the metadata, actually, just the metadata of the records. So it was on EndNote, it was uh, put on CDs, like I said earlier on. It was done once every year. And people were supposed to pay for, to get a copy of that CD. So um, it was during one of the workshops for that, that, that is when my story happened. But the other thing is that the, the initial objective was to have at the various institutions a platform for them to gather their own research output and gather them together for one body within the country at the national level to put them together. Uh, it was not succeeding because again this high turnover thing was also affecting them. You build the capacity of the person within the institution and in two years time you go, the person is either some, some head of another unit or has been transferred to a different session. And then whatever the person has started is just left. There is no transition. There's no way the person hands over to somebody else or build the capacity of another person and hands over. So the person will continue the work that was started. So it's, it, it, it was a challenge and it's still a challenge though. But um, the good news is that at the point we were now training not just one or two institutions within the country, we were not having the regional meetings again where we have the whole of the continent meeting once a year. Now we were doing it almost at the country level. So within every country, we see that now there's some level of uh, institutions, number of institutions having their institutional repository working and continuing to upload content onto the platform. Along the line, around 2017, 2015 thereabout, we shifted from having just the metadata to having the full text also of each research article uploaded onto the repository. So now it was not just metadata, but the full article of the research was included. Then in 2017, it was realized that it wasn't just the thesis and dissertations that was needed. We now needed to include also research articles from the faculty. So that is how the name R now became part of data. So the R there refers to the research from the faculty. And in that one too, it is not just the metadata, we want to have the full text of the research article. If it has been given by, I mean copyright has been given out to a publisher, we request that people or the researcher brings us the, either the preprints or the postprint of that research article, then we can put it there. 
On the other hand, if it is not foundable, we, we urge them to come because we can always point to where it has been published in the metadata description of that article and then point, give a, a citation that points to where the article, the full article can be assessed. But then it brings some visibility to the institutions and the universities have come to realize that, yes, it helps them, especially when it comes to rankings. So now a lot of institutions are doing that. There are those who would say, well, let us do a selection of some of the best research articles and let's push these ones online. But even if they do that, they are still pushing online some form of research output from the institution. There are those who would go ahead and push everything that is postgraduate level and beyond onto the platform. And that adds more visibility to the research articles or the research work being carried out by the institution. So in all, I see that has also been a very helpful platform. The knowledge management unit as a, as a unit has been very supportive of, and it has helped give more visibility to research from Africa. Oh, okay. Now, in your opinion, how can education and research institutions leverage their infrastructure, resources, and expertise to support research output and vis output visibility and accessibility? Right. So we, we, we now have uh, actually in the pipeline, there are a lot of processes coming up now to support so that it's not just about talk, talk, talk every time, but also making sure there's a support system in place to enable people to share the knowledge. The universities do a lot of research. They do a lot of research. But let's, let's ask ourselves how much how much effort do the universities themselves put into securing their research? That's a question I keep asking. If you have been in the university environment before, you will see how much effort goes into, effort and energy goes into securing the examination process. During the exams week, there's no play at all. There's no play. All efforts is focused on ensuring that sanity of the examination, the conduction of the examination. But when it comes to managing resources in relation to research. If you go to an university and you ask how many papers were published from the faculty within this year, I, I don't know which university can give you that in Africa. Because nobody tracks, nobody supports, nobody guides the process. Mm. Mm. So it is mm. always difficult to actually have that data. So for me, the universities must begin to the same effort and energy they put into securing or sanitizing their examination conduction. At least if they use a tenth of that in ensuring that there is some sanity in the governance of their research, it is something that would be very helpful for them. In any case, the university is not ranked on the number of examinations that are conducted, but it's rather the output of your research. So if that is how we are going to be seen outside, why are we not putting in more effort to ensure there's some sanity in the way we conduct, produce, and share our research work. So for me, one, I have always pushed for the universities to have what I'll call the publication office, where people who are early career researchers or those who need help would go in, they will be guided as to how to write, for instance, if they have difficulty publishing scientifically. 
they will be guided as to where to publish if they have difficulty identifying a resource or a, a publisher for publishing. They will be a help to understand what legal processes involving IPRs are like, the use right. of the licenses. Right. All these things, there must be some guidance within the institution to help people know how to publish. The university must take control of how researchers within the faculty or within the institution publish. They must guide. There must be a guiding process. There must be a way the universities would benefit from that and make sure that that data is secured within their own service or wherever they want to host it. But it must also be available for their students and other researchers within that institution to make sure they can build upon what was done two years ago. Has new data come to change the perception or the conclusions that was found in the earlier research article? How can we help people who are innovators outside, entrepreneurs, to access this data and sort of form a partnership between the university and the industry to provide them with the uh, knowledge that they can now uh, use to materialize some, some innovations. So the universities must find ways, not just the infrastructure, they must have policies that guide, they must have infrastructure also to allow people who want to support those policies, as place where they can implement the things, the guidance policies asking them to do. But and there must be reward systems. Okay. Sorry, there must be reward systems for people who go along this way so mm -hmm. that within some years to come, everybody who goes into the institution would have the mindset that as for this institution, if I go in here and I want to do research, they will support my research process. And when I do proper research, I'll be given the platform where people will begin to see me and bring more collaborators into that research realm. Okay. But in terms of the capacity building, don't you think um, it, there's been a slight change? We are seeing more libraries becoming active, especially when it comes to supporting researchers, especially early career researchers in understanding the academic workflow process, understanding the research process. They're becoming a bit more active than before. There's, there's a slight change in the attitudes on how to work with libraries right now as the libraries are engaged in open science dialogue and also open open science dialogue also within and supporting the their respective academic communities they are actually the the the, the i like the new paradigm shifts but you see the, the 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 reality on the ground also is that still the librarian although an academic staff is still seen as a, a not a high level person a knowledgeable person, let me use the word in quotes, a knowledgeable person to help in the area of research communication. So when I spoke about the publishing office, if you had asked me the people that I wanted to be there, you have hear me, you have heard me talk about librarians being among the, that group of people who would manage the publishing office. At least two librarians, I am thinking about a legal person probably from the registry there must be somebody also who will be a member of the peer review committee from the university, the university has a research, a research journal, a peer review research journal. So the librarians, yes, they are doing a, good, a lot of good work, but I think they need to do more. They need to push for certain things to be in place to so they can now 
for instance, support. It becomes mandatory that you, you will get them involved when you want to do research. And they must do more outreach, like you are saying, at the beginning of the semester. What about the, 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 the postgraduate students who have come in? How would they publish? And they are supposed to be publishing also research articles, especially the PhD students. The university librarians must begin to engage more, not just for once every year. I'm thinking even during the course of the semester, especially during the second semester, where students need to do a lot of research and do their thesis or dissertations, the librarians need to engage more. So it is not just a matter of one often during the student orientation or new staff orientation, they go in there, give a 15 minutes, 30 minutes talk, and then that's the end of it. They must go beyond that. They must engage them, visit their faculties, have seminars with them to help them understand this whole ecosystem of knowledge sharing and visibility, the ideas of open science and how it's, it's, it's important for them to embrace open science from day one when they start their education or they start their work as a faculty members. This is what I think the librarians must continue to do and do more now so they can, they can help in the process of, after all, they are the knowledge managers and they must be the ones taking the lead in doing this one. Okay, so that is quite insightful and that leads me to the final question. So looking ahead, what is AAU's vision for the future of open science in Africa? And how do you see it developing over the next few years? I would, uh, at this point, also want to congratulate again, TCC and PLOS in the support of open science advocacy across the continent. Um, I guess we would have to continue with this partnership, continue the engagement, have more dialogues, now, we are moving beyond just the, the managers. We are looking at the Senate, involving Senate members also in open science uh, dialogues. So they also understand what it all means. But beyond this, I am sure that we can leverage also the arms of government, where we would bring on board the ministries of education for the various countries and let them understand what this involves. Then we can also involve bodies like the accreditation bodies within the countries, the accreditation bodies I mean for the universities. So that as, because AAU also engages them in certain levels of conversation. So that as part of the accreditation process, you could have a requirement that says that the university must have open science as part of the research cycle, they must implement open science as part of the research process. And so they want to see policies, they want to see statements, they want to see structures that are in place to support open science when it is time for the university to be accredited. And if these things are not available, then the institutions could be, I would say, uh, uh, not demoted, demoted would be too much of a strong word, but they are alerted that the next time they are coming for accreditation, this thing must be in place. Because for me, I see what AU's vision is. For us, we are to provide a platform for engaging the institutions to understand what is happening on the international scene and how they must come along for their credibility and their, their institutional reputation to be intact.
So we provide that access, we are providing that engagement with partners like TCC and PLOS and UNESCO for them to understand this is where the world wants us to carry our research. This is how they want the research to be done. So we want to continue to do that. We want to provide all the possible avenues that are going to be helpful for them to now engage so they can implement these things. But for us, we are hoping that in the next two, three years, the number of universities on the continent that are, have embraced and adapted open science in their research process would have gone up from what we have now to probably a tenth of the universities on the continent. 10% of the universities on the continent doing research in the using open science tenants within the next two years. Oh, that is that is ambitious and I believe is also doable because everybody is now the, the academic community rather is uh, is is quite positive about open science. Even though their concerns and the concerns are valid, they are willing to listen and see how it can be implemented within their institutes. Thank you so much, Abednego, for for joining us in our podcast, but most importantly for working with us in uh, advocating open science within higher education institutions in Africa. Thank you and goodbye for now. Thank you very much also for the opportunity. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Mazum Gumzo Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on all our channels for more updates and for candid stories by researchers, policymakers, higher education leaders, and innovators on their journeys. See you in our next episode.